Now, our Bible reading, uh, we're continuing our series uh, going through 2 Corinthians, and we're in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. If you've got a Bible with you or on your phone, you might want to turn to it, because we're trying to cover chapters 2 and 3 of uh, 2 Corinthians. I'm not going to read that all now, uh, but you might just help to, uh, help to see all of it sort of in front of you. But I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 3, and starting at verse 7. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7. Paul writes, and he says this. Now, if the ministry that brought death which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we're very bold. We're not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we pray that this day, you might transform each of us more into your image by the power of your spirit at work in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Don't lose heart. It's there in giant letters on the side of that side of the building, if you saw it as you came in. It is the title of our sermon series. It is a common phrase for our time, because let's be frank, there are lots of reasons justifiably at the moment that we might well lose heart. Whether it's our own personal circumstances, whether it's political concerns, whether in this country or in the US or in Nigeria, uh, whether it's just the ongoing relentless slog that just gets us down with this global pandemic, there are lots of reasons that we might feel we are losing heart at this moment. And so today, the question that I'd love to ask every single one of you is this. Here's the question. If someone says to you, not to lose heart. Is there any substance to that phrase? Is there any substance to it? Or is it just sort of a semi-pious platitude that is slapped on the side of a church building or a semi-pious platitude that the fairy godmother keeps on saying to Cinderella in the Disney film? Is it just that? Or don't lose heart. Can it actually be a truly powerful proclamation that is undergirded with robust reasons that are capable of sustaining your and my emotional well-being at this troubled time? You know, literally, that word for lose heart, literally, it, it means utterly exhausted or, or fainting. I, I have fainted twice in my life. Both times when I've literally, I've been running, and I've been in the middle of a really busy phase, actually when I've been doing far more than I should have done. Uh, once was when I was in the West End, and I was running from one meeting in the, London's West End to the other, and as I ran along the road to get to this next meeting, I just went splat, I crumpled in the middle of the road. 
The other time I was running from one end of the wicket to the other end of the wicket in an under-11 cricket match, and I just crumpled and went splat. Now, both times, what did I need? I needed something to, something strong to undergird me or someone to hold me up to stop me from crumpling. And I'll tell you my fear. My fear is this, amongst us, the church, the people of God, here at HTC and across our nation, my fear is deep down, if we're honest, we believe don't lose heart is just a pious platitude. We believe it's just that, it's got nothing undergirding it to hold us up in the tough times. And I'm not saying that to sort of be critical or judgmental in any way. I'm just trying to be real. Because what I see is most of us, including myself, we're responding to this current situation that we're in. As psychologists often say people respond in a time of stress. We respond either by fight or flight. Some of us, we respond by fight. You know, the, the fruit of the Spirit just goes out of the window and we start on the attack. We're just rallying against something, rallying against an annoying person or, or rallying against uh, government principles or, or rallying against right-wing ideologies or left-wing ideologies, whatever takes our fancy. I know I do this. I, I did it yesterday. I, I, the fruit of the Spirit went out of the window. I, I, I got angry. I, I got shouted at someone I shouldn't have done. I really shouldn't have done because just all the stresses and I went on the fight mode that was my response and then others of us probably more of us we go on the flight mode you know when someone said to me earlier this week they said I'm just flat I've retreated I've pulled back from pretty much everything I'm just getting through not interacting with anyone at all when I say to myself I said it earlier this week to myself you know, I wish I was just a sort of you know just a hedgehog and I could just hibernate for the next six months and just pop out again next Easter when all was fine Fight or flight. And both of those mindsets, what they say is, oh, I've lost heart. I've crumpled. There's little that's in my Christian faith that is undergirding me, that's holding me up, that's causing me not to lose heart, that's causing me not to spiritually faint. And so the question today is, how could you or I respond? What is the alternative for us to fight or flight? What's the alternative? Well, first, if you will, look at the verse that comes immediately after our reading. So I read from the end of 2 Corinthians 3. This is 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. It'll come up on the screen. This is what it says. It says, therefore, so therefore, because of everything that's been in chapter 2 and 3, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. There it is. Those words, do not lose heart. Now, why do we not lose heart? What is it that Paul is saying that means he does not lose heart? And Paul has got more reasons than any of us to lose heart. He writes in chapter 1, he, he says he, he, is, he is fearing even his death. He says he has deep anxiety in his heart. And what is the reason? Look at it. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Well, what is this ministry? What is this ministry that is causing Paul not to lose heart? Well, it's what he writes about again and again and again and again through chapter 3. Let me just show you a few examples of it. Chapter 3, verse 3. This is what he says about the ministry. He says, the Corinthians, they are the result of our ministry. Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. We'll look on to chapter 3, verse 6. He says, God has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. 
Or look again to verse 8. He says, the ministry of the Spirit will be even more glorious. Now, I hope it's pretty clear there. What Paul is saying is the thing that stops him from losing heart is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, about eight years ago, he felt that God had given him a picture a picture for this church. And he shared it with Susanna and myself uh, eight years ago. And he said, I I feel God's giving me a picture of streams of water flowing down into the church. And then those streams of water flowing out from the church in all sorts of directions to all around. And as he told us that, he said that, that water going in and out, that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit here at HTC. So how does that ministry of the Spirit, how does it hold us up? How does it undergird us, you and me? How does it cause us not to spiritually faint, not to lose heart? Paul says there are two reasons. Here's the first reason. Because in Christ, you are a recipient of the ministry of the Spirit. You're a recipient. You see, throughout chapter 3, Paul's been making this contrast. He's been making the contrast between the ministry of the old covenant, Moses, Ten Commandments written on tablets of stone, and the ministry of the new covenant ushered in by Jesus. This contrast between the ministry of the law and the ministry of the Spirit. And he says here, the problem of the old covenant was that it was just, if you like, an external moral code. So it showed up where you sinned because, you know, when you see written, commandment number 10, do not covet, you think, well, actually, hang on a moment, I am coveting my neighbor's house or, or my neighbor's giant TV or my neighbor's iPhone 26 Pro X or whatever it might be. It shows up our sin. But it doesn't cleanse us from our sin. And so what was needed was not just an external moral code, but what was needed was an internal moral renewal. And that was what Jesus ushered in through his death and which led to the work of the Spirit renewing us internally. And so if you or I, if we've turned to Jesus, if we are a Christian, then we are recipients of the ministry of the Spirit. You know, in Christian circles, you sometimes get this idea that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is only for sort of super special Christians. It's for the SAS crack squad of Christians, but nothing could be further from the truth. Anybody, the moment that they turn to Jesus Christ, they are a recipient of the ministry of the Spirit, and they continue to be recipients of the ministry of the Spirit throughout their life. Just look at verse 16. What does Paul say? He says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, they become a Christian. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You see, the word that best describes being a recipient of the Holy Spirit, the word that best describes it is freedom. Freedom, it's freedom from condemnation. Our sin, it's been paid for, it's been dealt with, so we're declared righteous. That's what verse 9 says. But it's not just freedom from condemnation. It is also freedom for transformation. In chapter 3, the glowing that's talked about on Moses' face that he experienced externally, you and I, we can experience that more gloriously internally in our hearts, a moral glowing, a moral radiance. As You and I, we are transformed by the Spirit more and more into the likeness of Jesus. Look at the last verse in chapter 3, verse 18. He says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image, Jesus' image, 
with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So today, in whatever way you feel that you're in danger of losing heart at the moment, in whatever way you feel that you might crumple because of the circumstances, and circumstances, they are tough. Some of us will be feeling that. We need holding up. We need undergirding. Can I encourage you, rather than sort of a frustration and anger fight mentality, rather than a, a retreating flight mentality, can I encourage you today to choose a freedom mentality? No need for shame. No need for shame because you're free from condemnation. No need for despair because you're free for transformation. Any restriction on our daily living due to this pandemic, it need not restrict our daily relationship with God because we have freedom, freedom before God. So HTC, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. In Christ, you are a recipient of the ministry of the Spirit. And that freedom in your relationship with God, that you're free to boldly approach God without fear of condemnation, that you're free to worship God in spirit and in truth, that you're free to know transformation, not be stuck in a rut, that freedom, it undergirds you. It can hold you up, even in times of restriction like now. That's the first reason that don't lose heart is not a pious platitude. And then here's the second reason. Because in Christ, in Christ you are a reflector of the ministry of the Spirit. Just think of Justin Welby's picture of HTC again. Streams of water flowing down into HTC. That's us being a recipient of the ministry of the Spirit. But then streams of water flowing out from us, out to others. That's us being a reflector of the ministry of the Spirit. See, if you look at verse 18, the last verse in chapter 3 again, that word contemplate there, it could just as easily be translated as reflect. So it could be, and we all, who with unveiled faces, we reflect the Lord's glory. We reflect God's glory to a watching world. You see, if being a recipient of the ministry of the Spirit, if that's all about freedom before God, then being a reflector of the ministry of the Spirit, that is all about us being fragrance before people. Just look at what Paul writes just before our Bible reading, end of chapter 2. This is what he writes. He says this, verse 14 of chapter 2. He says, but thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma, the fragrance of, of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ amongst those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we're an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Now, that might at first sort of sound, sound all sort of lovely and floral and, you know, John Lewis-scented candle kind of stuff, um, but actually it's far more controversial than that, isn't it? It is far more controversial. It says there that some people we will be seen like the smell of death rather than an aroma that brings life. And in those moments, it's so important for us to hold on to verse 15 that whatever else people may think of you as a follower of Jesus, this is how God thinks of you. Verse 15, we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. The pleasing aroma. 
And it's worth noting that the, this fragrance of Christ is not just about us being Christ-like in our actions, but it is also about our lips, our speaking too. Do you notice the end of verse 14? It says there, it talks about the aroma of the knowledge of God. We are to pass on the knowledge of God. God must be spoken about by us as well as lived out. Being the fragrance of Christ, it is about our lives, but it is also about our lips. Bottom line, you and I, we are supposed to smell. We are supposed to smell. I'm sorry if that sounds rude, but how smelly are you? We are so supposed to smell of Jesus. You know, if you were in court and you were being tried, would there be enough evidence about your connection to Jesus, your smelliness for Jesus to convict you? Because you and I, we are supposed to smell. One of the most mind-boggling things about Christianity is God's marketing strategy. Because he says to each one of us, he says, you are my marketing strategy. You are the means by which my message will spread amongst your family and your friends and your neighbors and your colleagues. You are the main channel for the propagation of the gospel message that can change people's eternal destination. You and I, we're supposed to smell. Now, in response to all that, as we think about all we're experiencing now in this pandemic, we might go, well, I can't be the fragrance of Christ at the moment. I'm restricted. I can't socialize. I can't see my family. I'm working from home. I just see my colleagues on Zoom. It's a bit of a non-starter to be the fragrance of Christ at this time. And I agree, there are some challenges at the moment. But I want to say two quick things. First, we know the power of technology. How in the first lockdown, we had the most people we've ever had on our Alpha course. So our smell, it can go further than ever before. But I think even more importantly, I think it's important that this time we focus on depth rather than breadth. To really be the fragrance of Christ to a few people. In London, so often we have lots of friendships at a relatively sort of shallow level, but now you can have one or two friendships at a much deeper level and be the fragrance of Christ to those one or two people. I was really struck by a conversation I had with someone in our church earlier this week, and he'd had a friend who had just split up from their long-term partner, and this friend of his was really struggling with being alone. And so this person in our church, he offered to bubble up with his friend so that he can support him through this tough time. You know, how can you, how can you be the fragrance of Christ in a deeply smelly way to one or two people at the moment? You and I, we are supposed to smell. Just in the last two minutes, look at what Paul says at the end of verse 16. He says, and who is equal to such a task? Is that how you feel? It's how I feel. You know, being the, thinking about me being the fragrance of Christ, I feel inadequate, I feel incompetent, I don't feel up to the task. And even the Apostle Paul, he does not feel up to the task too. And that's why I want us to look at some of the next verses that come between that bit and our Bible reading. Because what does Paul go on to say? This is so encouraging. This is what he says. Chapter 3, verse 3, he says this. You, the Corinthians, show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. 
Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. God has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. In other words, Paul is saying there, don't lose heart. He's saying, stop worrying about your own competence, thinking I'm not intelligent enough to be the fragrance of Christ, or thinking I'm not spiritually sorted enough to be the fragrance of Christ, or, or, or thinking that I'm not enough of an influencer to be, the, to be the fragrance of Christ. Stop worrying about the power of your intellect, or the power of your influence, or the power of your Im- image, and instead, start trusting in the power of the ministry of the Spirit at work in and through you. Right now, rather than fight or flight, you and I, we can be people of freedom and fragrance. And those two things, freedom and fragrance, those two things, they sustain us, they hold us up, they undergird us, they give us purpose at this time, they stop us losing heart. And who knows? Who knows, but as you and I, as we look to rejoice in freedom before God, and as we look to reflect fragrance before other people, who knows, it might just be that the Holy Spirit will write on tablets of human hearts. That he might just write, just as he did with those Corinthian Christians who did turn to Christ, That he might write on tablets of human hearts, just as he did with many people on our Alpha courses, they turned to Jesus through lockdown. He might write on the human hearts of those you know, of those you are connected with. The Holy Spirit might write on their hearts. Don't lose heart, for you are mine.